0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host. And I've got another really exciting episode for y'all today. Joining me on the podcast is Scotty Lechuga, who is the overall 2021 Arkansas High Country race winner and new women's FKT holder. This year's Arkansas High Country was uh, crazy. (laughs) she finished in five days 10 hours and 49 minutes which is absolutely insane scotty is no stranger to cycling or to the arkansas high country race she's a former professional road cyclist who Found her way to ultra endurance racing. She's been on the podcast before with her husband and riding partner, Ernie Lechuga, after they set an FKT on the Arkansas high country for couples. They did that in five days and 18 hours and 24 minutes, and then came back as a couple the next year in 2020 and almost took an entire day off that time. So they did that in four days, 22 hours, and five minutes. Her and her husband also own Natural State Rock and Republic, which we're going to talk about on today's episode what it is, what they do there. So I won't rehash it all right here. And they also run LeBorn Coaching and they teach other people how to have successful cycling careers or even just how to enjoy cycling more. So she is a wealth of knowledge and just a beautiful person. A personal hero of mine. And I was really grateful that she was willing to meet up with me in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My fam and I were up in Stillwater for the Truffle Shuffle, which was a great time. Shout out to all my Stillwater peeps. It was great to see a lot of familiar faces and get to meet some new folks out there. It was a really great party on a bike. If you want to know what the Truffle Shuffle is, Nobody knows what the Truffle Shuffle is, but uh, if you like fun, if you like bikes, if you like beer, if you like to have fun while riding bikes and drinking beer with fun people, then that is Truffle Shuffle. Definitely worth checking out. I heard they already released the dates for spring, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to make it up back for that event as well. But while I was up in the area, Scotty was kind enough to... uh, Actually, she drug her whole family into a conference room in the hotel I was staying at for this conversation. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed the first episode that we did together with her husband. I equally enjoyed this one. She is such a thoughtful and well-spoken person. She has a lot of cycling experience and life experience. And she takes all that, and I just really appreciate her approach to cycling and herself and how open and honest she is about, you know where she's at in her life, where she's at in relation to where she wants to be, and how she makes plans to accomplish, you know whatever goals she's trying to set out to do. I took a lot away from this episode, and I hope that you do as well. But before we get to today's episode, why don't we take a moment to thank the people that made this episode possible, starting with our newest group of patrons that have stepped up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. So let's put our hands together for Charles Matthew Hudson, Kyle Day, Kevin Spitzer, Jill Holloway, Rance Stanley, Cynthia Sayer, Kyle Beckel, Noah Baker. David Betty, Tarin, Davis, and Nate Branch. Thank you so much for helping to keep my coffee cup filled and my bourbon glass running over. Thank you all so much for stepping up to support the Bikes or Death podcast. And I will see you on the other side at the after party. Everybody else, if you've been enjoying these episodes and the greater body of work over here at Bikes or Death, Please consider signing up to help keep these episodes coming in hot and fast. You can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Where do you do your online shopping when it's time to get new bike gear? Recently, I needed some new winter gear. We don't use it very often in Texas, but every once in a while, it gets a little chilly and you want to be well-dressed. And I use competitivecyclist.com. Do you spend hours researching your dream bike? Hmm. I know I do. Most of us love this stuff almost as much as the experts at CompetitiveCyclist.com. Competitive Cyclist is the online specialty retailer of road and mountain bikes, components, apparel, and accessories, featuring cycling's standard brands like POC, Castelli, Pearl Izumi, and 510 and an unrivaled in-house bike assembly operation. They bring the personal attention of the best local bike shops along with the selection and convenience only possible with online shopping. But the real difference at competitive cyclists are the gearheads, equal parts customer service and cycling fanatics. Gearheads are former pro athletes, Olympians, and seasoned cyclists with years of experience all available by phone, email, or chat for production recommendations and hard-won advice. Competitive Cyclist has 100% guaranteed returns. So go to slash bikes or death and enter promo code BIKES OR DEATH, all one word, to get 15% off your first full price purchase plus free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Some exclusions apply. Go right now. And get 15% off plus free shipping at competitivecyclist.com slash bikes or death and enter promo code Bikes or Death. Today's episode is also brought to us by Kuat. Y'all know I love my Kuat bike rack and I'm really excited about this new Piston Pro X. Did you know that just like the Bikes or Death podcast, the Piston Pro X is 99% metal? That's right. 99 metal it's burly and designed to take on all the adventure you can throw at it and with bomb proof materials like genuine kashima coat tiger dry Lack powder coat and hard-wearing Igus bushings that will keep this rack looking beautiful over the years of demanding mileage and use. Additional features include one-hand, one-tap, hydro tire arms, which means zero contact on the bike frame, high-strand, semi-integrated 12-millimeter cable locks for security, and integrated LED tail lights for safety. Plus, they look cool. Plus, simple tool-free adjustable tire chalk slides for all bike sizes and tires. These and many other features culminate into a rack designed, built, and tested to push the envelope and provide unparalleled ease of use Peace of mind and lasting value. Get to your local bike shop or online retailer and ask to order one of these badass racks now. Shipping starts spring of 2022. You know why? Kuat, because you love your bike. All right, everybody, we did it. It is time to get to my conversation with Scotty Lechuga your 2021 Arkansas High Country winner and new women's FKT holder. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride
1: away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need. Strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Bikes. Oh, 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 Bikes.
2: Podcast. Well, since we were coming to Tulsa, we found out there's this awesome outdoor playground called The Gathering Place. And it's got towers and like rope swings and zip lines and all kinds of cool stuff over there. If you guys have time to do it in the morning, you should. We might have some time, actually. Yeah. How old's your daughter?
0: uh, So we have two. Two. Okay. Say I have two. Um, Check, 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 check. Let's get those levels right about there. Yeah, I I have a five year old and a almost 12 year old.
2: Okay. Well, how old kind of, They're 10. And I, I kind of told them, if you stay together, you can just go and do your thing. And they did. I checked on them a few times. But like your 12-year-old would be fine just to explore. Yeah. It felt really safe there. I mean, we just kind of said, just go. And they went. <laughs> and they were like climbing all over the place
0: i saw on your instagram just a second ago um while i was sitting here i was creeping yeah. and uh it looks pretty cool it's just basically like a huge uh jungle yeah jungle gym type, it was
2: so cool type thing yeah and um we didn't know how popular it would be but like finding parking on a sunday afternoon it was it was hard <laughs>
0: Well, it's not that banging because this restaurant that we're at is like closed, and the yeah. bars closed.
2: Yeah, the it's Sunday bummer. Sunday scene I feel like is seasonal here, maybe, because <laughs> in the summer it was open like really late. We've come here, I don't know, like not in the past couple of summers, but every summer before that, I was here for Tulsa Tough because I used to be a roadie. Remember?
0: Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember. We're and, gonna, oh, I love your hair. Oh, thanks. You you always have great hair. Oh,
2: thank you. You always
0: do the uh, God I can't remember the show. Mm. It was it was called Vikings. Did you ever see it? Yes, I did. That the, the <laughs> chick with—I with, mean, she had yeah. blonde hair and she had yeah. the, the braids going. Yes.
2: I cannot remember her name. Power right. braids. I'm all about the power braids. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's a good look. It's a good look. I just—I just, I just it's noticed. It's like it.
2: my everyday go-to. Uh, well,
0: it's probably easy because short it,
2: is easy. Yeah, I've had it short ever since. Well, these. plus
0: braids, then you don't have to worry about. I don't know much about hair. My hair is. Yeah. I got beard beard hair. That's about all I know. <laughs> yeah,
2: you can you can get some power braids in there. I could.
0: <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming to yeah, meet with me. Absolutely. Day.
2: I was honored. I was trying to remember it's been almost exactly two years since I've talked to you. Has it been two years? I mean, I think I've seen you since then, but not
0: Yeah, yeah we've definitely seen each yeah. other. I just can't yeah, I guess it was because it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's why it doesn't feel like two years, because right. as we know, it's 2020 warp. never happened. Yes.
3: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> and so it, it's like, we just kind of forget about that. And yeah. it's, it's been a year. Yeah. I wanted to mention, as we're kicking this off here, that um, even before you won the Arkansas High Country this year, I don't remember why. Every once in a while, I'll go back and like listen to one of my episodes, yeah. and it's very rare. I don't, I mean, I better. Oh, thanks, you. Thank you. Thanks, you.
2: Thanks, you. <laughs>
0: I've already had enough to drink.
2: <laughs> oh, just got a beer delivered. Spring
0: in the Iron Monk.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to that.
0: Yeah, so I was, um, thank you, sir. Yeah, I was, uh, for whatever reason, I was like, man, I'm going to listen to that <laughs> episode that we did together. Oh, did you? Yeah, because oh, I had cool. really fond memories of it. Yeah. Like, I went into that episode, and I don't know if I disclosed this at the time, but woefully unprepared, much like today. I don't have any notes, but... but I, I don't know, like I just, uh, I was very busy and I just didn't have a lot of time to like prepare maybe or whatever. But I go back and forth with that because sometimes it's like, it's good to just be surprised and like learn about the story like mm-hmm. I did with y'all. It's like, oh, wow, this is really crazy. Yeah. If I had like read it all before or known it before, then maybe it wouldn't have been as as exciting. I don't know. Yeah. But um. I really enjoyed that episode. I enjoyed meeting y'all like a lot. Uh I love y'all's story. Thank you. Um, I love that y'all are both parents. I love the whole uh, living in a van with your kids (laughs) and everything. So I want to like strongly encourage people to go back and listen to that episode. I think it was thirty six.
2: I don't know your number.
0: <laughs> I dude, let's see how good it I am. It was a while ago. Let's see how good I am. Yeah. I'm going to say 36. I'm just going to throw that out there, but it's it's been a minute. But yeah. really, genuinely, it's a it's it's one of uh, I won't say I don't like to compare them, but I really yeah. enjoyed yeah uh, that conversation and getting to know y'all it was
2: good yeah.
0: But for this to be like a standalone episode. Do you want to share, you know, a a summary of like your entry into, I mean, first with road cycling and then how you've kind of evolved into where you are now?
2: Absolutely. Um, I was wondering if we would segue from that previous episode, because I haven't listened to it since basically when you published (laughs) it originally. So I was like, I can't remember what all I shared and I didn't want to double over myself. but.
0: Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, we'll just give people an overview and then you, yeah. they can go back and listen to the the for full sure. thing, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So I found cycling late 20s, which in the game of this sport is pretty late in terms of competitive years. I had been a runner all through my youth and got injured. And you guys all know that story. But I turned to cycling after having been kind of away from sport for a few years, really missed just the competitive discipline of just training for stuff and having that carrot to chase and competition has always been really fun for me, something I enjoy. And so um, I hunted down the only professional cyclist I could find in Arkansas, which was Ernie Lechuga. And at the time I kind of bombarded him in the bike shop with a plea to coach me. And he said, have you even ridden a road bike because at the time I had this beater mountain bike that was like a $300 bike. It had no business being on any mountain bike trail. <laughs> yeah. He was like, first of all, you have the wrong bike. Second of all, um, you want to turn professional? Are you kidding me? Like you don't even have any experience. <laughs> and so he, he gave me this challenge. Of, yeah, I think
0: you skipped that part, but you were tracking him down because you had this idea of wanting to pursue. Yeah.
2: I don't even... It wasn't even realistic at the time to go from... You just wanted
0: to be competitive. I wanted to be
2: an athlete. Like that's from the time I was a little girl. That is kind of what I had dreamed of being. And I tried to find, you know, fulfillment in other areas of my life. For a while I was painting. I was an artist and showed in galleries and that was fun. But it wasn't like uh, pursuing my purpose. And so... I did this circle back to sport. And when I did, I was like, I need help. I, I need help. And I've always been the kind of person who, if I don't know, I'm gonna find the most qualified person in my area and try and hound them for information or pay them for information or whatever it is I can get to um, surround myself with people that know more than I do about what I wanna know. And so I I found Ernie and he agreed to take me on a 40 mile bike ride. And at the time, I don't think I'd ridden more than eight. I mean, I was basically like a, a bike path rider in
0: Arkansas with steep hills. <laughs> yeah, and
2: so he takes me on this forty-mile bike ride and and tells me if I can hang on his wheel that he'll he'll think about coaching me. Oh wow! So um, I never drafted. I'd never been in a group ride and he takes me out on this bike ride and i want to say you know we maybe average like 18 or 20 miles an hour which for me at the time was extremely hard i was bonked at like mile 25 <laughs> so this <laughs> pro riders like got me on his wheel and i hang in there and we get a coke at like mile 30 and at the time i didn't drink sodas i've taken a radical shift since then but um, so he hands me a Coke, brings me back to life. And he's like, all right, I think you have what it takes. Like, I'll, I'll give you some coaching. And so that's honestly how we met. And um, for a long time, we were coach and athlete. And through that whole experience, we eventually fell in love and started dating and then boom, had babies, <laughs> like two at once. <laughs> so, boom. Yeah, that was a oh, big wait, surprise. Oh, wait, no, that's boom,
0: boom. <laughs> yeah, that's two double babies. whammy double instant boom.
2: family, like here we are having twins. Yeah, And so um, at the time, I actually was very depressed that I got pregnant. I didn't, that was not part of my plan. Didn't really see that in my future at all, but decided I wanted to keep the kids, um, went ahead and had the boys. And I actually didn't turn pro until after I'd had the boys. And so in I, road
0: cycling. Yes,
2: yes. And so I dabbled in some crit racing before I had the kids and then took a complete, you know, year and a half away from everything cuz when you have twins, you are ridiculously large by the time you're like 4 months pregnant, you look like you're having a single. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like at 40 weeks. You look
0: full term at 4 yes. yeah, halfway through you look and full so, term. And
2: so yeah, I um I took a lot of time off. And um After having the boys, Ernie worked with me on bike handling skill because he's like, if you can learn a corner, if you can learn to sit in a group, if you can tackle all the tactics of bike racing first, you're going to be able to hide in the peloton and you don't have to be as fit as everybody else. You just have to be smart about how you use your energy. And so the whole first year, um, all I did was criterium racing and I learned how to be really group savvy. And that really helped me a lot. I think a lot of women go to the sport being strong riders and they struggle with the handling part. And it was the opposite for me. I was a very weak rider. But I could fake it for a long time.
0: <laughs> Do you think so. that would extend also to men? Like just from my own perspective, I've watched we're sitting in Tulsa, yeah. where Tulsa tough happens. Yeah, I and I love it here. The first ever crit race I ever witnessed was here. Yep. And it scared the shit out of yeah, me. It's you know, so high I mean octane. it's like I don't I mean, I, I don't know. I'm curious I've never done one, but I would assume men or women mm-hmm. would have a learning curve for sure. Getting into Absolutely. that kind of group, that yes. close, that high pace. If I mean if you
2: can feel comfortable in that setting, oh, you God. can basically ride anywhere.
0: Did you ever feel comfortable in that? Yeah, scene? I loved it. Really? Um, wow.
2: Yeah, I I got to the point where I was I was really comfortable and confident with being, you know, elbow to elbow with other riders. Hmm. And um, it's something that some people learn quickly and others it takes longer, you know. And for me it just came really quick. And so I was lucky in that I could get in a peloton and hide and I could make it to the end of a bike race and by the end of my first year I was finishing top 10 in some pretty big races like nationals and got selected for the national team and then the next year got a pro contract. And so I entered the sport professionally in 2014. I had a great run. In 2016, that was probably my best season ever. I was winning some pro races and getting on the podium pretty often. And after that, I just had a kind of bummer year. I had some of the best power numbers I'd ever had, but like the lowest self-esteem that I'd ever had. And so I had been really struggling with mentality, and that's not something I often share, but uh, or I didn't in the in the moment because in women's cycling, especially in America, so many people are fighting for so few spots. Unfortunately, it's not like gravel where it's like yay everybody, we're gonna give hugs and drink beer yeah. at the end of a bike race. It's sometimes, um, especially in the women's sport, just super competitive. And you know, I look back now and I wish that I had been more open hearted and open minded in trying to grow the sport more like I see it now, because I think there really is a void for camaraderie there. A lot of women are vying for spots. And um, in America, there aren't very many spots. And I think road racing in general is in danger in America of just disappearing. Really? Yeah, I really do. I think it's it's kind of the trend that we're seeing is Criterium racing, yeah, that's fun. And there's a lot of money in it. Yeah, because
0: closed course.
2: Yeah, it's spectator friendly, but the road race, the stage races in particular are struggling. And so I feel very fortunate that I got to do that because that style of racing really suits me. I like tactics. I like strategy and um, like a five day stage race is right up my alley. I loved it. But in 2018, I was really struggling with just being really hard on myself, putting a lot of pressure on myself. And um, I had a co- I can't remember if I shared this on the last episode that I did with you. I had a coach at the time, Kristen Armstrong, and I've told her this story. It's come full circle for both of us okay. now.
0: I don't recall. But um,
2: yeah, I, I was coached by Kristen Armstrong, who's a three-time Olympic gold medalist in the time trial. And the reason I wanted to work with her is because she was so mentally tough. I mean, to be a time trialist, you have to just be tough as nails. And that's where I sucked. I could hide in the Peloton all day and be really crafty and like break away. I was that type of rider. But when it came to just me on my bike versus time, I was terrible. Hmm. And so I worked with Kristen that year and she knew I was kind of struggling to make a breakthrough with myself. And eventually we just had this conversation. She said, you know, Scotty, you're not mentally tough enough to get to where you want to be right now. And at the time I wasn't ready to hear it and it just kind of crushed my soul a little bit, but, um, you know fast forward like 6 months later after i stepped back from the sport reevaluated what i wanted from it i was like she's right i'm re- i really was missing the mental toughness aspect that is what stood between me and cracking through that next level hmm. and so i was like what can i do to get mentally tough All right and so i literally googled hardest bike race <laughs> in the world <laughs> And Silk Road Mountain Race shows up. Yeah, okay. Red Bull had rated it that year. Um, The first year it came out was 2018. And in 2019, here I am looking for hardest bike race in the world. I'm going to go tackle that. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I signed up Ernie and myself as a pair because at the time I was terrified to do anything like that alone. Still am terrified to do that kind of thing alone. But um, Ernie agreed to do it.
0: It's a far cry from road racing. Oh my a gosh, we didn't even <laughs> we didn't
2: own a single like I didn't camp back then. Yeah. I stayed in hotels. Right. Like I didn't have. You get the masseuse. You yeah, get, like, I mean team <laughs> car bringing you bottles, and we didn't own bikes for that type of challenge. We didn't own the gear. And so I And Ernie
0: was actually supporting you uh, you know, as your coach and like your partner and everything as oh, you yeah. like, I was never like touched your, my bicycle yeah, throughout my yeah, professional career. Like, if it wasn't Ernie Again, you gotta listen to the other episode to hear about yeah. Ernie's Ernie's story. Yeah. He's here.
2: <laughs> hey. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Sorry. No, I, I mean, I never wrenched on a bike my entire pro career or either Ernie fixed it or my team mechanic fixed it. And so, um, here we are tackling this self-supported endurance challenge of Silk Road mountain race, which is less of a bike race and literally more of a, uh, how tough are you <laughs> adventure? Yeah, And so that was just life changing for me. We got out there and dealt in situations that I'd never been in before. I mean, Blizzards and high altitude up to 14,000 feet where you're just hiking a bike because the terrain is too rough to ride. And I mean, uh, 10 days, it almost took us 10 days to finish and it was a little over a thousand miles. And so we got done with that and I finally felt like I had cracked through that place. And- I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. And um, I came home from that with like a lot of fire in my heart again. Not so much for being competitive, but like why I loved cycling in the first place and what it had taught me and then how I could also share that with people. And so it was a really good 180 um, in my personal journey with cycling. It took me from being very inwardly focused with performance and podiums and winning and just all that pressure that got locked up inside of me when I was road racing. And it gave me this perspective of that it's my lifestyle. It's my long-term goal. It's about the growth. It's about the process. And when I changed where that attention was, it took a huge burden off of me. And it not only allowed me to kind of step into the sport again with a, a bigger heart, but also gave me the ability to share it with more people, um, which is something that I really didn't do when I was road racing and something that I regret not doing when I was road racing is bringing other people in along for yeah. that journey.
0: You'd be bringing in your competition. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I know, which it's stupid because it's like, it doesn't matter how many watts you can push. It's how you race with that strength. You know, it's how you handle yourself in the context of a bike race. I mean, there are so many people that are strong, but maybe don't race well. And so it's silly to think that I had to hold that up my sleeve the whole time. It's not true. Like I could have been more open the whole time.
0: Well, it's a culture you were in. It is, it's And I mean, very we're all so. on a, a, a journey. And I mean, yeah. similar to you, I wasn't at near the same level, but, I was big into trying to be like an XC mountain bike racer. I mean, just locally in Texas, but I was like going after it, you know, and doing, I got more into the like endurance stuff and it's fine. I mean, people love that shit, you Mm -hmm. know, and and that's cool. But yeah, once I flipped the perspective on what cycling meant to me, it kind of opened up more doors and yeah, now it, I don't know now now it can serve more purposes than just that one singular thing just opens a lot more doors i feel like
2: absolutely that's been my experience and since then it's just been like a, a whirlwind honestly so we did silk road in 2019 Came home from that with having been bitten by this ultra bike packing bug. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's pretty pretty amazing. And I think the reason it's so contagious is because of how much you grow inside yourself when you push yourself to those limits. And um, nothing will push you like a long, long, long bike ride.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so.
0: <laughs> when else in your life are you ever put in that situation? Yeah you know, like really where you're out there on your own Mm -hmm. and things are very, very tough and there's just you and your bike and whatever you brought with you to get you back to wherever you're going. I mean, we just don't do that as humans anymore. And to give yourself that opportunity to find out how how tough you are, or even find out where your weaknesses are and yeah. find out where you can improve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great opportunity. I'm reading a book right now, actually by Jewel. Um, it's a fantastic... I love her. I am a, becoming a huge fan. She's um, so brilliant. I had no idea. I just listened to a podcast with her and I'm yeah. like, oh,
2: you're yeah. like
0: my new like life teacher. But yeah. yeah, Never Broken by Jewel, the book. Yeah, highly recommend it. She talks about the value of being in silence and spending time with yourself and your own thoughts and working mm-hmm. through whatever. And that's something that I resonates with me in this fast-paced world that we don't do enough. And, oh gosh, you know, yeah. a thousand miles on your bike is a great time to spend some time <laughs> in your head <laughs> totally. and, and work through some stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, a friend recently asked me, um, didn't you get bored while you were out there? And I that's was a good like, question. I Did was you? like, no. It was like being in a flow state for five days. Really? Yes. It was incredible. Like uh, you're so inwardly thoughtful. And I think part of that is when I am at home, it's like kids, business, coaching, workout. You know, it's it's like full, full capacity, high paced days. And then all I have to do is ride my bike through tough terrain. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me. It's freaking hard. But it's also freeing because all I have to think about is myself in that moment. And so I loved it just because it's such a hard challenge, but also such an opportunity to go inward. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's simpler Mm -hmm. in some ways. I mean, it's maybe more challenging than your day-to-day life, like physically challenging and mentally challenging, but it's also in the inverse of that. It's also much simpler than your, Mm -hmm. than your normal life. So it's just an interesting paradox. It is. What else can we say about your entry into yeah. bike packing? I mean, you, you and Ernie both, uh, you continue to do quite a few couples things, in, yeah. including doing the high country, I believe mm-hmm. twice. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. I, I,
2: I can't believe I've done that route three times now. Like I said <laughs> the first time that I would never do it again.
0: I think everybody says so, that. <laughs> yeah, In
2: 2019, Ernie and I decided we would tackle it as a pair and that we would just, kind of push ourselves. We came home from Silk Road Mountain Race with the knowledge that this course had just been created. I mean, 2019 was the inaugural year that that race, the Arkansas High Country Race had started. And so we're like, man, this awesome route is in our backyard. We need to go try it. And so we did it that year and set a pairs record, which really was just I mean no one had done it as a pair, so I hate to say that we <laughs> Y'all
0: still set a pretty fast time. It was like five days. Something, it was like
2: five days, I think 22 twenty two yeah, hours or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm remembering.
2: And um and then So it's
0: still a legit time. Yeah, we and pushed and honestly, ourselves. I, I we talked yeah. about this the first time. Like and I've talked to other couples that have ridden together, and and this is a trick that I figured out is just being like good with your time and management. So like if you have a flat tire, yeah. Ernie should be like cooking or eating <laughs> or cleaning or you know doing something, but always like always. utilizing time, yeah. you know. And so there's more logistical challenges that mm-hmm. that come along with with doing a pair of things. So yeah, I for don't sure. think you should. Just you know, discount it too much. You know, y'all put up a legit time. Yeah,
2: it was it was fun, and we we did push ourselves, and then we decided to go do Atlas Mountain Race in February of 2020, and this was
0: that was awesome.
2: Literally, we had heard about COVID the week before we flew out to Morocco. We're like, oh, that's not going to be a big thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, little did we know. But um, Morocco was very. How do I say it? We learned a lot through failure we went to race and decided that we wanted to try and be very competitive as a pair and chose completely incorrect tires for the adventure at hand day one i sliced my sidewall a good like inch and a half and so we stopped and ernie booted it and we went to air it up and we only had a hand pump and we couldn't get the darn tire to reseat. If I
0: remember y'all were freezing cold at the time as well. Is that right? Or was well, that a different not time? Not this
2: one. That was a different one. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was a different one. On day one, it was not cold yet. And um, but That was later on. The problem on. <laughs> was that uh, our hand pump wouldn't provide enough boost to reseat the tire oh, right, after right. it. Because you have to like drain the sealant first before you boot it. And so we'd put um, a tube in and went to air it up and we couldn't get the tire to reseat. The rims that we had at the time were, um, they just had this funny way of fitting tires and we couldn't get it to seat, which is not good because then when you start to roll again, you're rolling on uneven. And so the tire was not fully seated. And so it was rubbing on the rim above the bead. And as that was happening, it was dethreading the tire um, yeah, like ab- above through. the bead. And so we were aware it was happening, but at the same time, we had we had tried our best to air it up and couldn't do anything else about it. And so we were like, okay, we just got to keep riding. And fast forward like four flats later, we were out of tubes. We'd patch tubes. Um, Ernie started sewing the tire back together where it was de-threading. He like unstitched thread from his shirt, hand-stitched the tire, and then it kept on spreading from there. Like oh, it, he
0: took... Thread from his shirt and yeah. hand stitched the tire. We had we had smart Holler collar Wal- <laughs> earnest. I know. That is some he, bushwhacking I, shit. I
2: watched <laughs> this guy do like some crazy voodoo on a tire. That's so not awesome. only did that happen, but um it because it kept on de threading along the sidewall, he also took a Coke bottle, cut like a rectangular strip out of it. Mm-hmm. Taped it to the inside, sewed that to the tire to try and reinforce the sidewall.
3: Oh, my God.
2: And then uh, we found a a tire shop, like in this town in Morocco, that happened to have um, like an air, like a tire inflator. Okay. So we finally get the tire to seat, and we're like, yes, this is going to be our answer, right? Well, it just didn't stop from there. And we eventually just – Arnie's hands were so – gnarly and worked from trying to the rims that we had brought were just like impossible to get the tires on and off of. Yeah, And so he and I together, like our, our fingers were just um, like blistered and raw like 1am when we flatted for like the eighth time, we just gave up on it and called in for help and abandoned the race and got back to the, like the home base where the finishers are. And I think we'd mentioned in our first podcast that we'd done some training with Jay Peterberry and we'd gone to seek some help from him. Because like I said, I like to, when I don't know things, I like to seek out people who do. (laughs) And so we'd gone and trained with Jay in Idaho before Silk Road Mountain Race. you did his
0: fat pursuit camp or? We're
2: getting ready to. You're about
0: to, okay. Yes.
2: So we became good friends with Jay. And Jay was actually coming into the finish about the time that we were landing at the finish from a car <laughs> and we get out of the car and he goes what the hell are you guys doing here and we're like well you know we started to tell him our story he's like save it for later i want to hear what happened but not right now i was like okay cool because it was his finish you know it was important for him to the limelight was needed to be on him for sure
0: <laughs> plus he was probably tired <laughs>
2: he was probably wrecked <laughs> but probably anyway just want to hear when he, he could actually gets, like process yeah, it he gets some rest all of us reconvene and he's like tell me what happened guys And so we start to tell him about all these things that happened to our tire. And he goes, couldn't you have taken a pair of tires from somebody else who'd abandoned the race? Or could you have called like a a bike shop or anything? And we were like, well, yeah, but if we did that, we would be disqualified. And he goes, doesn't fucking matter. Finish, guys. Like, just do whatever it takes to finish. Don't worry about your your place. Don't worry about dis- being disqualified. Learn to finish first. Yeah. Do whatever it takes to do that. And then you'll have the satisfaction of knowing you came to Morocco to finish a goal and you did it. And that really stuck with me because it made me realize that it really brought me back to where I was in road cycling, which is the performer, right? So if we had taken assistance from another rider, it would mean that we were DQ'd from finishing. Mm -hmm. But so what? Like we were in Morocco to race our bikes. We should have tried other options, you know? And so hearing that from Jay, it really opened my eyes to what my goals really are and what I really wanted to get out of the racing experience. And so Ernie and I both came home from that with a little more like desire to be more creative and more adaptive and finishers versus racers. Mm. And I really like that mentality of like, you got to finish to be a racer in the first place right if you don't finish the bike race you just participated in like a cool morocco ride
0: (laughs) yeah i do i do want to take a little bit of issue though because like it's not like you got a tear and you tapped you know i mean the dude was taking threads from his shirt weaving the tire back together and then taking the coke bottle yeah you know, I often look and I think many of us do is like these are learning experiences, yes. you know, and so like you're saying, you're like, I, there's a lot we learn from that. And maybe one of those things is prioritize just finishing yeah, by any means necessary. But sometimes, yeah, you just got to unlock that part of your brain and you don't know until it's like yeah. road cycling. You're like, oh, OK, you know, you unlock like adventure cycling and yeah. now that's open and now yeah. you unlock like, oh, steal a tire from somebody, you know, mm-hmm. it's just I don't know.
2: For sure. It's yeah. been I feel like
0: I guess I was just like, man, I'm like, y'all like tried really hard to stay in that. You didn't just like Right. You know, we'll tap out. Yeah.
2: No, there was there were hours on the roadside, you know, yeah. trying to fix it. But um Which is
0: really impressive. Cause I think a lot of, I mean, those conditions are really I mean, I wasn't even there, but I can yeah, maybe it's a rough race. Kind of imagine.
2: I think it really helped us. Like we came home from that with a new set of priorities, which is one, don't go to a gunfight with a knife, right? I mean, suit up for these types of adventures. And I think coming from the roadie mentality that we both grew up with, you know, Ernie was a pro road racer. That's my background. We think light, fast, aero, all of that goes out the window of bikepacking. It's all about what can I take to prevent the worst case scenario. And if I have a little more than I need, that's not a bad thing. (laughs)
0: 100%. Yeah.
2: And so... um,
0: So many times on the podcast, I've talked to people who have failed through lack of not Having enough yeah. or not being prepared, and then they go back, and I, you know, they'll carry more stuff, and then they'll wind up winning or mm-hmm. just finishing or whatever their goal was. Right. But yeah, I've talked to many people that I think what you're saying. The reason I wanted to echo it is because I think it is important that um, don't show up to a gunfight with a knife, right? Like, and I'm, I'm probably bad about it being a podcast or a host of a, a show that talks to bike packers is like downplaying the severity and how like hard these. You know, feet actually are. And so it's worth emphasizing like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Tough tires. <laughs>
0: Tough tires.
2: Comfortable saddle. <laughs>
0: All the things. All the things. Every, like, don't skip whatever you need, yeah. you know, whatever that is and everybody's going to be different, yeah. but 100%. yeah, go, go more than less. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of taking more than I need and not using it than not having what I need when I need it. So Coming off of Morocco, then COVID happened, and we all stayed home for months. And, you know, Ernie and I got to do our first fun bikepacking. So it's really funny because, like, Silk Road Mountain Race was our first bikepacking experience, other than going to train with Jay for a few days. And we'd never just gone exploring Just for fun. (laughs) So we did that in 2020. We went bike rafting, which was incredible. We went to the Buffalo River in Arkansas, which is about two hours from where we live.
0: We did that this last year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we did a little bike We Actually, we just bought our own bike. Pack rafs will be here you? next week. <laughs> I,
2: I'm so tempted to get some. We rented some. We did.
0: I Well, I talked to you because we rented from the Pack rental place. Yeah. yeah. They sponsored like that whole trip that awesome. we did. So we did the same
2: thing. <laughs> I like, I'm like, hey, you remember Scotty and Ernie? like, yeah, we're doing the same thing. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, we just kind of branched out and had fun. And I think we needed to do that. It allowed us to explore our gear a little more and just... Learn to be outside a little more. Neither of us came up in families that did like mountain sports or cold weather sports or anything like right. that. And so, then we decided to do the high country again after um, Jay came and beat our record. So he threw down like a, an hour, like a ten hour faster time than we did, and he did it in July. It was like a hundred plus yeah. degrees and humidity. I mean. I know what Arkansas feels like that time of year. And I don't want to be on the top of a mountain on slippery gravel. Yeah. And so I was feeling for Jay while he was out there. It was a stellar effort. But after he did it in July, Ernie and I started looking at the route again. And we were like, we could totally whittle away some time at our last year time. And we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, like going outside to any other race was really not an option at the time anyway, because everyone was still kind of semi on lockdown. Yeah. So we just decided to do the high country again, just as a personal pursuit, not the race, and um, did a time almost a whole day faster than the year before. And that was the first time that we hallucinated. (laughs) 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 That was like the deepest uh, we'd ever gone.
0: Y'all both hallucinate at the same time? We
2: did. And so it was really funny because Ernie didn't want to tell me that he was hallucinating (laughs) because he didn't want to freak me out. Uh But when I started hallucinating, I was like an open book. I was like, I'm having an out-of-body experience right now. I am watching myself ride my bike, Ernie. Like, I don't think I'm safe. I'm seeing things like I was, I was narrating to him everything that I was experiencing and I didn't know it at the time, but he was going through the same thing. He was seeing like Optimus Prime and Transformers (laughs) on the side of the road and all this crazy stuff. That's
0: foreshadowing to what we'll talk about later on about Ernie and not telling you about his uh, injuries or other things Mm -hmm. that he's enduring. (laughs) You
2: see a trend here? Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So, um, We went really deep that year, broke five days. And then like a month later, Ted King comes and he just smashes, you know, does a great solo time. And I know you can't always compare solo to Paris time. It's not the same. But um, still, it's so fun being an Arkansan to watch people that are notorious in the sport come and challenge themselves. You know, we have had Rebecca Rush, Jay Petervery, now Ted King. These are big names in the sport that are coming to Arkansas, which is our, we love this state. We love where we are, and um, they're they're challenging themselves on a, in our backyard, and it's so fun to just see these you know high profile people come and yeah, do the it's route. It's been amazing. It's been awesome, yeah. I and mean, it's only like three years old.
0: It's interesting how uh, Northwest Arkansas is. It first through mountain biking put mm-hmm. the, put a stamp on the mm-hmm. map and said, "Hey, bikes come here." Yep. Mm-hmm. And now they're like cyclocross and mm-hmm. um, bike packing. Yes, and they're just they're they just bikes. are
2: just pouring resources.
0: Obviously, we're going to talk about Arkansas High Country Race, but before we yeah. get into that, the big thing that's happened since we last spoke was that you all opened up your own business. Yeah. And we had talked about me coming out and like I I do want to I want to like. Experience mm-hmm. what Ernie puts uh, uh the I, I don't know do you he does the fitting right Ernie's Ernie does the fitting solely
2: the the only bike fitter yeah
0: okay but tell me because mm-hmm. I don't fully know but it's a natural state rock and republic yes you were living in a bus last time I talked to you <laughs> yeah. and now you own a very nice yeah business that you've like turned into a bed and breakfast slash it's a bike cycling retreat. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's, it's everything. We don't really either some days. <laughs> we're
2: like, what is this place? No, it's, it's been amazing. It was such interesting timing because, you know, in 2020, when we were all kind of at home, Ernie and I kind of started thinking about where we wanted to take Laborn Coaching, which is our coaching business. And a friend of ours had moved, moved up to Northwest Arkansas and had started running downtown Springdale Alliance. And if you've heard about Northwest Arkansas, you've probably heard of Bentonville. Like that's the place, the bike trails, everything is there. Well, Springdale is just 18 miles south. And it is kind of the last of the cities up there to really kind of blossom again. It has a really cool downtown district, but just needed some life injected into it. And So, our so is friend, this south of Fayetteville? It's north of Fayetteville, okay. south of Bentonville, so okay. we're right so in the it's, middle. it's right on like it's the, right on the Greenway. Greenway, yeah, it is on okay. the Greenway, yeah. And our friend Jill had um, has worked for the downtown Springdale Alliance for three years and said, "Guys, there's this property you need to come look at." And we got there, and it was six and a half acres on the Greenway, with this ten-bedroom, ten-bath historic home, a cottage house, and a huge event center kind of space out back. And we were like, well, this is great, but what will we do with all this? We're just basically looking for a bike fitting and training studio, you know? She's like, think big guys. Like seriously, write a proposal on how you would inject cycling into this experience and let me know what you come up with. And so like a month later, I wrote this proposal about how we would turn this into, you know, an off the greenway cycling retreat. And it would be a hub for locals and tourists alike, for people that are from the community to gather and also people who are traveling to ride bikes to find a place where they could stay, where they could get their bikes taken care of while they were there. And so put all this together, fired it away, and um, the property owners came back and said, we want you guys here.
0: They made a good choice.
2: Yeah, it's turned out... Just brilliantly. Well, you are managing
0: the property extremely well from what I can tell. Very professional. Thanks. um, But also like community driven and cycling focused. Yeah. But it seems like a very, and I've been there. I I haven't toured the whole facility, Mm -hmm. but we did a um, coffee outside and gear swap uh, through Ozark Gravel Cyclist not too long ago. And so I got to, you know, see the property a Mm -hmm. a little bit and Mm I mean it's a beautiful spot.
2: It's cool. Yeah. It's been really great.
0: So what all do y'all do there? You, um, So you run your coaching out of there. You do fitting. Mm-hmm. I was actually talking to Blake earlier today, who I know comes in and, and utilizes y'all's facility. Do you offer like memberships to like, if you just want to come in and like use your training gear, like how do you actually yeah. interface with clients?
2: Mm-hmm. So the studio is the back part of the property and that's where Ernie bike fits and where we have Wahoo kicker stations set up. So, Anyone can come in and do their trainer workout on their own, but oftentimes in the winter, what we'll do is set up group classes. And that'll be where people can come in and do the same workout, but together. And they'll each have their own screen and be doing their workout at their you know, intensity, but it's a group-led workout. And we like to lead those kind of within our coaching philosophy, teaching people how to pedal more efficiently. And so it'll be like a coach-led workout experience. And then we also have VO2 testing and metabolic testing on site. So, anybody Metabolic? Who, yeah. It's just a fancy word for basically learning if you um, are a carbohydrate or a fat burner, you know, where your body kind of trends. And then um, we're able to tell people what their basal metabolism is. So, oh. that's helpful. I'm a, someone...
0: I'm a bourbon burner. <laughs> yeah. I, I burn through <laughs> I love my, it. My, my bourbon <laughs> VO2 maxes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: I'd love to come and, you know, this is why I'm interested in it, because what y'all are bringing is knowledge and experience from the pro side, like Mm -hmm. a very elite, high level, lots of money, you know, uh, (laughs) side of cycling. And, And you're bringing this and you're Pulling it into bike packing and gravel riding and stuff, which is different. And most of the people that I know that I ride with, bike packers, aren't the guys going to get fit or girls or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, like, I think that there's a, a big opportunity uh, for like bike fitting, nutrition, yeah. sports psychology. I mean, all kinds of totally. stuff I think could build around the whole bike packing for uh, sure. world. And you know,
2: even if you're not the kind of person who's going to go buy a power meter, everyone likes to grow. And everyone likes to have some numbers to prove that they're growing in the sport. And that's really where we kind of intersect with people along their own journey is at some point they want to see themselves get better. And so they'll look for some assistance with either a training program or maybe just assessing their heart rate values um, and learning where their threshold is and where they should train and things like that. And so... A lot of times where we come in is telling people, hey, you're riding way too hard. <laughs> you need to slow down some yeah. days and build your aerobic fitness. And if you're a bike packer, that's really where you kind of live on these long duration rides mm-hmm. is you can't be redlined for five hours and then expect to recover and feel good for another eight. <laughs> like it just doesn't work that way. And so a lot of times um, we'll partner with people to help them kind of find that efficiency point and then develop a structure that works towards their goals better you know and so yeah.
0: you know learning how to do whatever you're trying to do more proficiently more better more comfortably mm-hmm. all of those are going to allow you to be more enjoy it i mean even if For you're sure. not trying to be like a high-level athlete exactly. yeah. it's like oh i just want to go and enjoy mm-hmm. this more yeah you know and get more out of it yep you mm-hmm. know why not? Yeah. I, I think it's uh, great. I haven't been through it, but I think it would be very interesting to go through your process and yeah. like pick up some of your tips and like apply them to my, you know, I'm average cyclist type. You know, mm-hmm. just likes to go and, and ride. So I have a couple questions about this year's Arkansas High Country. Sure. First off, why solo? Because you and Ernie have, like you said, y'all have done quite a bit as as a couple. Yeah, and uh, so why solo? And then I, I'm very curious how you trained for this year's event. Yeah, and I want you to give away all your secrets so nobody <laughs> I, ever, no. <laughs> I know.
2: I don't know. Nobody books, ever but. has
0: to Google LeBron ch- coaching.
2: <laughs> we get that a lot, actually, LeBron. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It, it just it does kind of just come out. It
2: does. Yeah, <laughs> just a one letter difference. It's Leborn. Yes, it is. But um, so the solo thing we have always talked about doing a solo race. But it's kind of like, okay, when and which one? And for the longest time, I mean, I I think it's important for people to understand that I did not know how to do anything on my bike. Like this was a major limiter for me personally. And um, this is the first year that I actually did anything on my bike in pursuit of hopefully, hopefully one day doing a solo adventure race on my own. I think... Having done it as a pair for so many, you know, so many times, Ernie and I both realized that we lean on each other for certain things. For me, he picks me up when I'm down because I always have like a moment of <laughs> like where I'm at a low point. And he's always picked me up and encouraged me and said, hey, you've got this, you know, you can do this. And for him, I'm more of like the logistics person I'm the one who's gonna wake him up on time. Like he—he's a Mexican guy. Like he, he, he can sleep anywhere, and I—it's like a talent. And I like I'll be laying there hearing dogs barking, and I'm just wide awake, like out where we're camping, and he'll be just snoring, like yeah. completely. You're like out. my
0: partner. I'm the one that oh. I can sleep anywhere. I'm a great sleeper. That is such and a gift. And she gets so mad because she's yeah. just like up listening to me <laughs> <Yes>. snore.
2: That's <laughs> us for sure. Every
0: morning I wake up, I'm like, all right, how bad. Was it last night? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So it's it's just funny because we
0: yeah you lean on each we other have and, each
2: other's backs in that yeah. regard. And you don't and have, so.
0: I mean I don't know from the outside looking in. I I really like your. Relationship, It seems like, I mean, and again, I would encourage people to listen to the first podcast where both of y'all were on there. But I like the way that y'all really support each other and the mm-hmm. way like y'all work together and you've navigated like a family and like all yeah. these <laughs> things that you want to do. And I know as a person who loves to adventure, like my daughters are with me. Your family is sitting in the room with yeah. us now. You know, I mean, it adds yeah. an extra level of, of all that. And to mm-hmm. be able to manage all those things, I think adds... I don't know, it's something that I respect about y'all because Thanks. um yeah we're similar age and both parents yeah. and stuff and so I I can relate to how much harder it is to mm-hmm. do this when you're totally being a parent yeah you know which throws... is they're both fun they're both important absolutely and figuring out what to juggle and make all that stuff work can be can be challenging you know yeah for sure and I think if we look around in the sport we're in the
2: Um, We're in the minority.
0: We're in the minority, especially (laughs) you. I say I'm in the sport. I just like to go ride my bike and go bikepacking. But I mean, especially in racing, I mean, you don't see a lot of, you know, moms uh, out there at the front of the races, you know?
2: Yeah, it's so true. And it, it does throw an element. It is difficult in that it reduces the independence that you might have had if you were flying without kids. But I wouldn't be the same person that I am without the kids either. And so... I don't even know that I would be where I am right now without my kids. So they've been such an integral part of my cycling experience. And I think Ernie and I, having had done several of these together, understood the amount of growth that we had each experienced within ourselves Together,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: if that makes sense. Yeah, we yeah, were totally. together. You're both
0: growing. Yes. I mean, it's not like you're just incubated. That's I mean, you're, right. You're, yeah. yeah.
2: And so we had talked to each other about eventually tackling a race uh, by ourselves as solos and that we would probably grow in a different way, in a unique way. And I think it's really cool to have, now I've had both experiences, I can see how each is incredibly valuable. So I'm glad that we had the pairs experience and then I'm also glad that I got to step out And do a solo race. But for me, it was, it felt good for this to be my entry solo race because it was a course I'd already done twice. I had familiarity with the terrain, the resupplies, you know, I, You could probably
0: bail a little bit easier on this one than some other races. Yeah, I mean... You're in Kyrgyzstan, it's harder to bail. Oh,
2: my gosh. (laughs) And the language barrier, too. I mean, I'm like, we're speaking English here in Arkansas. Well, kind of. Mostly. Mostly, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But I felt very comfortable um, with being in my own element in that regards. And so... You know, I had a few concerns about solo racing, but I felt like this was like my time. You know, yeah. And we'd had um, some trips canceled for other out of out of the country. Like we wanted to go back and do Atlas Mountain Race, but it was canceled this year, and so well, that was a bummer. But when that got canceled, we were like, okay, it's time to do the high country again. Even though we said we'd never do it again, <laughs> let's just try it as solos, and it'll feel like a completely new experience. Sure,
0: I have to think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so that's what we did, and for me, that meant. Learning some things about my bike and how to maintenance it. And it was so it cracked me up because Ernie would go mess with something on my bike and I would come into the garage and I'd be like, What's wrong with my bike? It's not shifting. And he had pulled my E wire. Sabotaging out.
0: He you. Was. I love it.
2: Little sucker. I love
0: it. Smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how else are you gonna learn? I uh my partner went into the bike shop and my buddy Connor works there and she was like gonna pay him because I'm not the mechanic. it's like, you know. I would need Ernie to help me. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm like go help. Connor will help you. So she goes in and and he's like telling her everything, and she's like, "Okay, cool, I got it." He's like, "No, no, no. Now you do it." I'm like, "No, I'll do it later." He's like, "No, you're gonna do it now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he just like made her, you know, do it, and that's I know. what you need to do. I know, like that's the only way to figure it out.
2: Yep, it is. Anyway, I to, sorry, I that's my... pretty
0: funny though. He's, yeah, he's sabotaging is. your it, bike. He
2: would, uh, and one day I even asked him. I was like, "Can you please make a list?" of the scenarios that could possibly happen to me. And he looked at me and he's like, "Are you kidding?" No, like it could be anything. And he's like, "You have to just be a problem solver. You have to know enough to understand where it's coming from and then what you can do about it." And he he's worked on bikes since he was like, I don't know, 12. But um It's funny because I'll even see him sometimes get stumped and he will work with something until he figures it out. And so I was like, okay, I don't have nearly the experience that he has, but he approaches things patiently. And that's what I've learned from watching him is like, he doesn't get frustrated in the moment he assesses it, figures out something that he can do to make it better. And I was like, that's the attitude that I want to have going into this race yeah. is if something weird happens, I have to be calm. <laughs> and that's hard when you're in the sense of urgency in the middle of a race. And so luckily I had, I had very good luck. I only had one crazy flat scenario that um, it puzzled me for a while. I had a slow leak and I couldn't find where it was coming from. So I would air it up and it would just like 10 miles later be back to flat. And couldn't see any sealant, and so um, it was in the middle of the night. had poor light, and I, I rolled up to a town in Mount Ida, Arkansas. It's very small. There is one shady motel, and I roll up to the motel because it said vacancy, and I was like, oh, this is this would be so great. If I could just get a room, I could, like, charge my devices, fix my flat, take a shower. I could knock out so many things. And so um, I roll up, knock on the door because the light in the office was still on even though it was, like, past midnight, and this guy opens the door. He's got a beard like three times longer than yours and he's twirling it which is kind of weird when you're a woman and you're like dealing with the twirling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, should I pass on? But anyway, he opened the door. I asked him if he had a room. He said, no, I don't. And then there was like awkward silence and I was like, okay, well, here's where I am right now. I'm like (laughs) 600 miles into a bike race and I have a flat tire. I could really use a power outlet, and I can be outside. Like I can charge my things from outside of a room as well. If you could just point me to a wall outlet, if you could be so kind, they would really help me out. I need to fix a flat tire.
0: If you're not too busy twirling your beard.
2: Yes, and so he kind of looks at me weird, like I was messed up too, right? I mean, I looked a mess, total mess. Yeah, he's probably looking
0: at you like-
2: You are not normal, right? (laughs) And so um, he goes back inside and brings out an Apple charger like, huge Apple charger. It has, like, four outlets, four <laughs> USB ports, plugs it into an extension cord, and I'm, like, good to go because I can charge everything at once, yeah. which is awesome because yeah. my cash battery had died. And um, I hope
0: you charge your cash battery too. I did. Nice. I charged everything, yeah. Yeah. everything.
2: And while I was charging everything, I started to look at my flat, still couldn't find anything wrong with it, and I'm like, damn it, I don't want to drain all my sealant and like try and put a tube in because it's still a long way to go and the high country's rough and if i could stay tubeless that was my priority and so i didn't ask him for anything but the guy goes back inside and disappears for a few minutes and comes back out with a bottle of soapy water a spray bottle full of soapy water and he's like here you go i was like dude how do you know this trick he goes well i'm a cyclist (laughs) (laughs) And he starts telling me about his bikes. And we have this full-on conversation about, like, how long he's been riding. And he has two different bicycles. And he had watched YouTube on how to spot a hard-to-find flat. He went inside and, like, diluted his soap to bring me a bottle of soapy water. That's so cool. So I sprayed it on, and it was immediately, like, evident that I had, like, 30... Pinprick sized <laughs> holes in my tire. And I was like, this is crazy. I'd run into thorns, I guess, but I don't know how it happened. But I finally knew, like, okay, these holes are way too small to plug with any kind of bacon strip. So maybe I should just add more sealant. And I had sealant with me. And once I did that, I rolled around the parking lot a few times and everything held beautifully. Oh, cool. But I would have never been able to plug like 30 individual pinprick holes. And, and so well, I, who call, carries
0: 30 bacon strips right? without, I know. I mean.
2: and they, uh, the bacon strip wouldn't even fit in the hole. I mean, it I know we so talked small. about being
0: prepared, but that's like that's over prepared. Yeah. <laughs> and like
2: so, too much. um, I was so grateful like for this, you know, shady motel guy who brought out the soapy water. Cause it, it immediately solved my problem and I knew what to do next. But, um, that was really the only tire problems that I had that whole race.
0: Was that your only mechanical problem that you had?
2: The only other mechanical I had was somehow I think in changing I, I had a lot of um, light failure. I ruined my charging port on my light. I went to plug it in, and the whole port recessed into the body of the light, like where you charge. Oh yeah, yeah. We plug it in, it like pushed the whole thing in. Yeah, you pushed and, it in, and it went. And all it was the gone. Way. It was like no more. <laughs> well, it was a, a Surface.
0: I'm not Surface. Yeah, yeah. We Probably not a good it. plug for
2: Surface but, um,
0: it's okay. Surface, you should make a better light. Yeah. I just was, saying or a better port. The light's fine, but the port's yeah, yeah. I
2: was so sad when that <laughs> happened because that was like my last, you know, light. I call that a mechanical kind of, <laughs> even though it wasn't on my bike. It was a major, it, it caused me it's to part stop. of
0: your, you know, it, equipment yeah, that you need to, yeah. you know, ride at night safely. <laughs>
2: yes. So that cost me a lot of time. I ended up getting a new light in Russellville, um, thanks to the guys at Jackalope Cycling. Alla. And they're awesome. They had it charged for me fully when I got there, which I thought was incredibly thoughtful.
0: What's the guy's name at Jackalope? I'm drawing John Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. Shout out, Johnny. Bravo. Yeah.
2: Yep. Johnny, Johnny Bravo. Bravo. Yeah. What a name. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> but um, He's good with
0: names. He's had a good name and a good business name.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They were awesome. So I got a new light. And I think when I was uninstalling my old one and putting the new one on that I maybe pulled out my DI2 connection and I didn't realize it. And in the meantime, I left Johnny's. I went to Tropical Smoothie. I checked in a hotel because I saw that there was a massive storm coming. This was like the, I had 150 miles to go. And I was tired. I'd had a really long stretch. And um, I was like, I'm going to check in a hotel. I'm going to see what the storm's going to do. And I'm going to sleep for a little bit while it brews. And then I'll wake up and I'll know, like, at least I'll have rested and charged everything up and be ready to tackle like a full on storm on my last day. So I decided to rest. And um, that was a really great decision because like the worst of the storm went by. And I did ride in like really hard rain for like 17 hours the last day. But because I had rested, because I charged everything, like I had full batteries and physically and, you know, gear gear wise. Yeah. But I took off that morning and got, like, maybe, I don't know, like five miles down the road, went to shift my little ring, and nothing shifted. And I was like, oh, man, did I forget to charge my battery? Like, I knew I charged my Di2 battery when I was at the hotel. So I checked the battery connection, plug it in, and, you know, let it charge for a minute, and nothing's happening. Like, no action whatsoever. I was like, dang it, I can't figure this out. So I check all the connections, and it looks fine. Like, I check where it goes into the trailer. That was fine. And I was like, this is weird. And so I actually called Ernie at the time. I think it was like 1 a.m. or so. And uh, he answers. And I was like, hey.
0: In the hospital?
2: No, he was at home at this point. Okay. He was at okay. home. And um, more
0: foreshadowing. We're building this up.
2: I was like, hey. I, I have no shifting in my front and I've checked all my connectors and he goes, okay, well, I remember that extra E wire that I packed you and I was like, oh yeah. He's like, well, try plugging that in from your front shifter to the junction box and see if that works. Like unplug your front shifter from the junction box and plug the new wire in. Maybe it's the wire, like maybe something happened in there. So I did that and still nothing. And when I went to Replug the initial wire back in. I realized there were two wires that I hadn't seen that had gotten unplugged from my junction box, and that's all it was. Hmm. Um, they hadn't come fully out of the junction box, but they also weren't fully engaged. And so, I highly oh. recommend if you have any sort of electronic shifting that you pack the e tool with you. Do you know what an e tool is?
0: I don't, I've never done the electronic shifting. Okay, well, so the, no. e-
2: the, these junctions are very hard to connect with your stupid fingers on day five. Like anyone who's bike packed for days on end knows that your your hands are just dumb at the end of five days. (laughs) And I had like fiddled with it and it felt like it had made the connection. But an e-tool actually gets in there and pushes the wire into the junction boxes a full click. And that's what it's made to do. It's made to be the tool that makes the junction. <laughs> and so-
0: sounds like a terrible design for bike packers.
2: It, it kinda it is great if it you're isn't. like
0: in a workshop at a yeah. you know a bike shop and you're just like, oh yeah, get the tool and plug but, it in. Yeah.
2: When we were packing our um stuff, Ernie's like, make sure you have your e-tool. And I was like, Okay. I'd never used one before. But because I had it, like it it saved it saved that experience. Or else I was going to have to big ring it home. And that was I had like two major mountain passes, so that was yeah. going to be really hard. Um, probably more walking. And um, so thank God that was all it was. Um, it wasn't really a mechanical so much as just spotting what the problem was. So anyway, got through that. Um, the last day was... Playing catch up with my drivetrain. The roads were so nasty. It rained the entire last day that I was out there, and my drivetrain just sounded destroyed. Yeah. And so every hour or so, I would get off the bike, clean the chain, relube the chain. And like five minutes later, it sounded the same as it did before. But I was just trying my best to like maintain the life of it while I could because it, it was grinding really hard.
0: Were you worried about even making it to the finish on that drive train?
2: A little bit, yeah. Because the shifting was starting to get a little bit off, and like just the way it sounded, it, it sounded like my cogs were just being sheared <laughs> down to nubs, you know. You're but pretty
0: soon you'll be just sliding. I
2: know, I know. <laughs> I was like, please get me home. <laughs> so uh, it was fine, but I did try and like clean my chain every hour or so, yeah, just to make it. <laughs>
0: What was your goal going into the race? Like what was Yeah, what what was yeah. your goal? what was both of your goals? You can speak for Ernie too. Yeah.
2: Well, so the reason I kind of went in depth about what we learned at Atlas Mountain Race was kind of to set up for the fact that my goal for this solo first solo experience was to finish the bike race. I really wanted to first focus on finishing and just really what what that does is when you focus on just finishing, you take the proper precautions to do your ABCs throughout the whole bike race. Hmm. It's like, okay, to, to feel good on day three, four, and five, I'm going to have to eat and drink really properly on day one and two. It's really easy to get caught up in like the day one race vibe. Right. And like everyone goes out like a bat out of hell and you want to be up there with them. And it's like, this is a long fucking bike race and I need to take my time. And so, um, you know, I think for Ernie and myself, I'm speaking for him right now too, but that was our that was our goal was to like get out there, do the best that we could do to stay within our own means and find ourselves out there. You know, we'd had some amazing bike rides in these same places together and the goal was like, okay, now we're going to be apart and we're going to just use this time to really get inside of ourselves and grow as individuals. And so, um Unfortunately for Ernie, on day one, I didn't know this at the time. I passed him maybe. He was ahead of me for any, like... The,
0: before you tell the story, yeah. <laughs> any, any competitiveness <laughs> between y'all two? Any, any like, I'm so going to kick he, your ass? He is
2: not competitive with me. Like not a grain in his yeah. body is competitive with me. I on the other hand love to compete with him. Like I'm always competing with him and he he gives me grief about that. He's like I'm not your competition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know. I'm your husband. <laughs> kind of, right? Right. But I just love I like yeah. pushing You like a carrot or yeah, whatever. I, do. I mean, you You're the person obviously. Yeah, he's the ultimate carrot cuz he's in front of my face every day. So, um, and he is a very strong bike rider, and I fully expected him to be way ahead of me at this bike race. And so I passed him at mile 50. I think he, fl- he flatted. That's why I passed him. Okay. And I kind of checked on him, said, are you, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm good. I'm fixing a flat. So I rolled on. Fully <laughs> did,
0: expecting did she check on you? Or she just rolled? Yeah, she just rolled.
2: What am I supposed to do? It's self-supported. Yeah, it's
0: self-supported. <laughs>
2: Just be honest about it. You just
0: You're like, I he's not bleeding. Exactly. You did a visual inspection. I did a visual. He's not bleeding. There was
2: no emergencies. Emer- he I looked got, salty. I got, I, I'm
0: here to do that.
2: He did look very salty, which is normal for Ernie. Um he loses a lot of salt in his sweat.
0: Oh, you mean like literally I literally. was thinking like personality no, salty. No, no, like no, he no. was like No,
2: literally white with okay. salt. And um I did notice that and Like, I did slow down for him. He's shaking his head. But I slowed down and asked if he was okay. He said, yeah, I'm fixing a flat. And so I rolled on, thinking that surely within, like, 20 minutes, he would pass me again. Well, I never saw him again. And so I thought that's really weird. And in my mind at the time, I was like, maybe his flat continued to be a problem. Like, maybe he's having a lot of flat issues. I think later on that afternoon, I was at a resupply point, and I loaded the tracker, and he was like, 10 miles behind but he was moving and I was like oh good he must have fixed whatever it was and so um my goal for the first day was to make it to Whit Springs which is about 240 miles it's a big first day but it's also the easiest of the terrain of the whole so high you country went course
0: clockwise
2: I went clockwise and for the first like 100 miles it's it's not super technical or hilly per se compared to the rest of the course right and so um I did make it to Whit Springs before stopping, got there, slept just a short little bit. I was so amped up. I couldn't really sleep. And that's typical for me on the first night. I just am very high energy person. And um, Why not
0: just go? Why not just keep riding? Well, I did. Oh. I
2: slept for about 45 minutes. I made myself rest just for a little bit. Okay. And then when I realized like I was not going to get any deep sleep, I, I had set my alarm for two hours. But after 45 minutes, I got up and left. That's good. Little did I know, so I had checked the tracker. Ernie's tracker wasn't, like, doing real-time for some reason, and it showed that he was 30 miles behind. And I was like, oh, he must be having a rough day, you know? <laughs> I just – well, he was actually right behind me, and I didn't know it, but I left, and after the race was over, the guys that were at Whit Springs told me that I missed him by, like, two minutes. Whoa. <laughs> and then he was right on my heels. <laughs>
3: Whoa. And
2: I didn't know it. So I took off, and – I ended up getting passed. um, So I was in the lead when I took off from Whit Springs and then the
0: lead of the whole race. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not between you and Ernie, just to be clear. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then on day two, I got passed by the two guys, Spencer and Josh. They passed me both at at, uh, different times. And um, I never saw Ernie. And I was like, how weird. Like, he must be really struggling. And so, um, I I don't check my tracker all that much, maybe once or twice a day. Yeah. And um.
0: And how and how concerned were you with Ernie? I mean, were you just more like interested so, in like where he's at? Yeah. I mean, I, mostly.
2: He's so like, capable. Yeah. Like
0: like you're not like he worried. always has
2: taken care of everything that happened to me, and so I was like, surely he can take care of himself, right? Right. <laughs> so I had no idea. That at the end of day two, he had checked himself into an emergency care clinic and was like full body cramping. It turns out he had a condition called rhabdo is the short name for it. It has a very long clinical name, but it's basically like your body is breaking down protein and the strain that it puts on your kidneys causes like major, um, major malfunction of electrolyte and like imbalance. And so, um when he had gotten to the emergency care clinic, they actually sent him straight to the hospital because they said that he was in such a bad state with his kidneys that he wasn't, he was going to need like overnight care. And so um, he ended up having to get like seven IV bags of fluid. Yeah. He was so severely dehydrated and he was drinking. It wasn't like this guy has never done a bike ride before. Yeah. And so it was really a conundrum to him, like why his body responded in that way in this certain Experience. Do you know why? We still don't know why it was so severe. He's had cramps before, but they've been isolated to like the quad or his calf. You know, like, but he was. Exp- he said even his like fingers and like his neck and his well, abdomen. Seven
0: IVs. I mean, you've got to be extremely yeah. deficient in yeah. so much of your fluids. Yep. Like. I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. So they didn't tell y'all like what caused that or. Well, like they how said to that doing an extreme
2: the- bike race caused that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're like, well, dull, you know, thanks doctor. So
0: how do you do this? Let's see, you ride a bike a thousand. Actually, yeah. he only made it a few, a <laughs> few hundred. Yeah.
2: He made it like 300 some. And so I think I found out. No, I didn't find out. I, I woke up um, after my second little sleep, which was like 450 miles in. And I checked the tracker. And I see that Ernie's still in Mount Ida, which is now like 100 miles behind. I'm like, oh, man, something's wrong. So I call him, and he doesn't answer. So I call him again, and he doesn't answer. And I send him a text. I'm like, hey, just let me know if you're okay, please. Because I'm married to you, and I care.
0: (laughs) We have (laughs) Um, kids. Yeah. (laughs) I had plans.
2: And so (sighs) I didn't hear from him, and so I carry on. I carry on with my own thing. And um, I go through Little Rock, which is where we used to live for years. We lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. And one of our friends came out in a truck to like cheer me on, just kind of like a trail angel, you know, just to say hello. And um, he, he pulls up beside me in his truck and he's like, hey, you're killing it. You're doing so great. I'm sorry to hear about Ernie. And I was like, what do you mean? And he saw the look on my face. He's like, you don't know? And I was like, uh, no, would you mind filling me in?
0: Like right now? Because <laughs> Ernie
2: won't answer his phone. And he was like, well, he's he's stable. <laughs> like that's why he started like trying to calm me down. He's like, he's doing he's fine. He's not dead. Yeah. He's doing fine, but he is in the hospital. He's had to get wow. several IVs, from what I understand. And I was like, that guy. <laughs> so I call him again after my friend like takes off down the road. I call Ernie again. He picks up this time. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are you okay? And he's like, Well, I'm in the hospital, and they transported me to Little Rock because Mount Ida didn't have the care that they thought I needed. And he started explaining what happened. And I was like, Why didn't you tell me? And he's like, Well, there's nothing you could have done about it. I was like, Yeah. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have done anything to help him in that moment. And we had had that conversation before the race started. Like if anything weird had happened, we wanted each other to carry on Mm -hmm. like that. And if it wasn't like a near death experience, then we wanted each other to keep on. There is no reason. Like I, if something had happened to me, there's nothing he could do. Yeah. And if something happened to him, there's nothing I could do about it. And so, it, I, it
0: seemed like such a Ernie thing to do.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but what little I know of of either of y'all. I mean, from your stories that I've gathered, I'm just like, Yep, mm-hmm. that's Ernie. Mm-hmm.
3: He <laughs> you really just go to the
0: hospital, get seven IVs and like yeah, not just mention let it. you do your I mean, good point. I mean, yeah. what are you what are you gonna do? And well, you were obviously having a very good race. You yeah. were you were doing very well yeah. and so
2: And he knows he knows how much mental focus a race like that takes right and so he knew that if he had called me when he was in that kind of like emergency status it would have freaked me out so he waited to talk to me until he had been almost kind of released by the medical community to hey you're going to be fine we just need to get your fluids back to normal your electrolyte levels back to normal and so he called me very like calmly and explaining the situation in a normal voice and i i think You know, he knew that that would be a lot easier for me than if he had called me when he checked into the hospital, not knowing what was going on, you know? So in that respect, he really um, allowed me to continue on with my race without a lot of worry. He knew that that would have been like a major distraction to have been worrying about if he was okay. And so he got a lot of crap from our friends (laughs) for not telling me. (laughs) What about
0: you? What about from you? Did you, do you appreciate that or did, did he get flack for it too?
2: You know, at first I was kind of upset because I was wondering what had happened and I kind of expected at least like a text explanation. But I understand why he did what he did and I think if the shoe was on the other foot, I mean, if it had been me, I would have been like, wow, there's literally nothing Ernie could do to help me right now. The medical community can help me right now and like I would have wanted him to continue on too. So I totally understand why he did what he did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ernie, were you scared? Um, yeah, uh, a little bit. <laughs> you want to come over here real quick, sure. just for two two yeah, minutes or uh,
4: whatever? Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. Hi, guys. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was scared a little bit. I think when a when an ER doctor is telling you that the numbers he's seen he's never seen in his life, and that I should be having a heart attack or dialysis, then. I was a little scared.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? What? <laughs> but you, tell your story. I mean, you know, like you're you're riding along and everything's cramping, and
4: yeah, I mean, I'm riding along, everything's cramping, and I decide to uh, like take an eight-hour, you know, overnight, you know, rest so I can probably, like just come back to life, basically, uh, from the cramps. And uh, I got plenty of water, plenty of food. Got a hotel, you know, soaked in a bathtub. Started <laughs> nice. drinking like a bunch of water, and I just and I couldn't keep it down. So I was uh, were you throwing
0: it up for diarrhea or no, both?
4: No, um, I just I would sip a little bit of water, and I felt like it was gonna come back up. So I was just barely sipping on it. wasn't you know didn't chug too much so it, so it would stay down. Um, and that's when I knew I had to go to the ER so I could just get some IV fluid so I can be hydrated. Are you just like uh,
0: feeling a way you've never felt before? I'm trying yeah. to like, you know, picture you in a hotel room in a bathroom, be like <laughs> I've done a lot of shit, and this doesn't, you know, I mean, because I'm picturing you being a pretty stubborn guy, typical guy. It's like, I'm not going to go to the doctor or ER and make a hubbub of all this stuff. Yeah. Like, we're out here. We're supposed to be tough. We're handling our stuff. Nobody wants to call the ambulance. So I, have a, I, I just have this picture of you being in, in a pretty bad way by the time you actually called...
2: Oh, I can vouch that he had to have been in a really bad way <laughs> to seek medical attention because yeah. yeah. this guy never goes to the doctor.
4: Fair no, enough. No, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess I was. I, I wanted to finish the race. So, um, because of Jay, of course, like you know this the the Moroccan story where he puts a guilt trip on you if you don't finish your you don't finish your adventure that you start. <laughs> so I was like, I gotta finish this because Jay's gonna be pissed at me. So it's pretty funny because I actually called him and said, "Hey, is it legal for me to get an IV during this adventure race?" And he's like, "Uh, what do you mean?" So as I was texting him that, a guy had taken a picture of me texting him that question, and he sent me a picture, I don't know how he got this, but he sent me a picture of me texting him when I wasn't cramping for like like the five minutes I wasn't cramping. And he's like, "You look fine to me." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Shit, that's your response for me, right?" So uh, I kept on moving for another uh, uh, like 12 hours of cramping. Uh, and then then I got that hotel room and I'd never slept. Well, I never tried to sleep for, for eight hours and cramped the whole night. So that's when I woke up in the morning and was like, all right, I got to go to the ER. Just get some fluids. I'll be fine when
0: I get the fluids. I would assume, just to clarify that, for anybody listening, I would assume that getting IV fluids is allowed. It's on the route. Uh, I mean, or even if it's not on the route, if you go off so, the route and come back on. I mean, it's yeah, a, I mean,
4: I guess I the promoter as well. I texted the promoter and he said, as long as you are calling the ambulance or you're checking yourself in, everything's allowed. Yeah. Right. But then like, yeah, the whole USADA thing and I was like, oh, like, am I doing it right or not? Oh, USADA. <laughs> yeah, we don't got USADA here. <laughs> so, like, exactly, right. Like, yeah. I just want to get home. Am I safe? But I was like, all oh, that's a concern. So, cause I don't want to do something that's not illegal. And they were like, yeah, as long as you can check yourself in or call an ambulance. And I was like, well, I don't want to do either. Can I just find like a, like a med center that can give me an IV shot or something. Uh, and I couldn't find one at the time. So I checked myself in the ER room uh, in Mountain Home. And I don't know if it was just a small town doctor the e r ER room that he'd never seen numbers uh this high, but apparently every in all, ultra endurance athlete has experienced some sort of you know kidney malfunction at some point when oh, they're pushing really? that hard yeah I think so you research uh, this afterwards yeah and, it is after the yeah. fact yeah so uh I research it and uh, apparently it just it, it's a it's a known thing well, I'm not saying that you need to push yourselves <laughs> to the like if you feel like you need help you like you go and you you seek for help and do the correct thing, That's um, interesting. but yeah, I, I felt fine. Like there was like, I did not feel ill at all, at all except for the cramps. So, um, yeah. But when the doctor tells you, Hey, if you don't take a ride in an ambulance to a bigger hospital, they can take care of you so they can start doing the on you. If you get worse. Yeah. I was like, all
0: right. Yeah. That sounds scary. Anytime so, they're yeah, like, we're not equipped to handle what you have going on right now. We're going to send you somewhere else. That can't be a comforting feeling. So how much of this is you not communicating with Scotty because, you know, she's doing her own thing and and you were just dealing with your own kind of, you know, situation?
4: You know, when we started the race, we like Scotty said, like we told each other that we were just going to take care of each other to the end and because it's self-supported, right? And we wanted to respect that of each other. And like I said, like if she was in a troublesome spot, I, I would... You know, it it wasn't a life and death situation. Like, I think she would honor that. And I was trying to honor the same thing. But I got calls from the promoter and I got calls from a bunch of friends. They're like, are you doing the wrong thing? Family members, like, you need to tell Scotty. And I was like, no, I can't. Like, she is about to start her 600, you know, she's 600 miles. The last 400 of this race is so, you know, intensely hard. that There's no way I can put that stress on her until I've, I'm okay, right? And right. If, and if I'm not okay, like she can't do any shit about it anyway. So, like I just need her to keep on racing because, like, this is what we we, we came here to race and to push ourselves without any external family member pressures of of life in that situation. Right? Yeah, so, like
0: she had her own problems to deal exactly. with. Exactly. You had your problems to deal with. Neither of y'all can exactly. help each other. Yeah.
4: Exactly. So wow. as long as I'm doing the correct thing and she's doing the right thing, there's no reason for me to put that on her. How do you feel
0: about your wife's performance? What do you what do you think about I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Well, um the uh She kicked your ass. She really did kick my ass. <laughs> you she kicked your, kick your my, own you kicked your own ass <laughs> and then
4: she kicked well, it you up. know that yeah. No, um yeah, I uh yeah, she kicked my ass. And, and like, it, it, she kicked my ass fair and square, right? Oh, yeah. As they say. Um, no, but I'm so proud. Like, I, I've been wanting her to get to this moment uh, such a long time ago that I knew she had in her. So more more than anything, I'm just so proud. And she's always been one of my heroes. Yeah. You know, deep down inside, because she has it and she can push, you know, and that's, that's the reason I love this woman, because she can push so hard. And But she didn't have that. She didn't believe in herself for such a long time. So for her to come full circle and believe in herself and like just push through and, you know, uh, just, just make it happen. You know, it's was like,
0: you, you can't be more proud of that. It's a beautiful story, Ernie. This is why I like y'all because you saw that 30 miles in on that first ride. When Actually, you- uh, about 12 years ago. That's what I'm talking about at, the, at that, yeah. that 30 mile ride, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, yeah, time. Right, yeah. That's what I was saying. Miles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I you, you went
4: the first 40 when she kicked my ass. And when she went no, by no. me, when I was flat. No, when y'all first met, and you were like,
0: "I see something." It was in at you. 40 and miles you, where she dropped me. Yeah, you, you, see always, that? It's you like, always, you always, you uh, always, you. I don't know. You just have a very selfless, like I don't know. Maybe you're an asshole in the you know at home. <laughs> no, I'm no,
2: he. Uh, my concern for Ernie racing solo was that he's so used to taking care of other people that he doesn't know how to take care of himself. And we talked
0: about this on the first podcast. How he was the guy, he was the workhorse, like in the peloton, is, bringing everybody giver. bottles he and is, everything. He's the and,
2: domestique, as we call it. But in we all road have cycling. our roles.
0: I, I don't know. I feel like Ernie maybe gravitates towards that a little bit more, where he probably enjoys supporting people he and helping people he and seeing the supporting. potential. And and I mean, from a coach, if we're talking about like coaching and helping athletes like realize their potential, yeah, that is a great gift to have to say, oh, I see something in you. Let me let me help you bring it out, you know? Yeah, exactly. but the
4: problem is that this time I would really try to take care of myself and I had no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. <laughs> well, that so, was... <laughs> that was uh, oh. I mean, no. that's just one of those things that's gonna... I mean, you can't... Yeah, yeah you can't. So, But the other thing that happened whenever I was in from Mount uh, uh, Mountain View to Little Rock, cause they, the only way I could leave that hospital was through ambulance with an IV. Uh, when I got to Little Rock, out uh, to a bigger hospital, they said that I apparently that had COVID and that COVID attacks everything that is the weakest in your body at the time. Okay. So apparently like my kidneys were so basically being wrung out that COVID attacked my kidneys. So it just produced more proteins and they were a lot heavier. So I mean heavy loaded with, with that that they were trying to just process that. And that's why I was cramping more.
3: Yeah. And a couple of the nurses
4: were like, Hey, have, when I had COVID, I was cramping. So, cause I was asking everybody like, what's wrong with me? Like, I feel fine. Why am I still in here? You know, why are my numbers high? And they were like, well, sometimes, you know, COVID does this and that. Now they blame everything on COVID. Right. Shit, <laughs> so <I was> like, <laughs> I'm like, Well, that's I'm true. <laughs> so exactly what I was like, they're like, they're like, you have COVID. I was like, no, I don't have COVID. I've just been riding my bike for like four miles. <laughs> yeah. Like what do you mean I have COVID? If Maybe that's COVID, what
0: happened. Maybe that's one of the symptoms of bike packing is it gives, it gives you COVID. Exactly something. <laughs> it has to be, right?
4: <laughs> as soon as you strap up yeah, a bag on your bike, you're done.
0: Well, Ernie, I'm uh, I'm really glad that you're okay for real. I mean, like I think the whole bike packing community was like you know, worried about. I mean, we never got a chance to be worried about you. The same as your wife, like you never gave us a chance to be worried about you. So I think it's more of just like we're grateful that you're okay.
4: I'm fine. I think I was fine all along. So.
0: <laughs> well, you were fine as long as you got the IVs. Yeah. That's right. I think. Exactly. Otherwise, you'd be dead on this side. Well, item. it's
4: funny because the nurse, the first, the nurses were like, "Hey, you're gonna, you're fine. This is normal. You can cramp." You're gonna get two, three bags of IVs, and then you can go on your way. And I was like, "All right, cool, I'm coming to get you guys," but it didn't happen. I was in an amb- ambulance back to Little Rock.
0: Yeah, but all right, Scotty, let's wrap it up, huh? All right. It's a it's a school night. It's Sunday.
2: It is a school night.
0: And y'all have what? A how far drive?
2: It's about an hour and a half.
0: Oh, it's not too bad. No, it's not bad. Yeah, and you're not living on a bus anymore. You're like in the <laughs> you're you're he living the a, high life now. You're in a, a, a real house, two
2: bedroom cottage. <laughs>
0: It has a bathroom and more plumbing. It has a real bathroom.
2: Yeah, (laughs) toilet.
0: So let me ask you the same question I asked, Ernie. How proud of yourself are you? Or what are your feelings? You've had some time to sit with this for a little while. Like this was your first solo. And I mean, you beat everybody, the men, the women, and I fucking love it. Everybody (laughs) loves it. You know what I mean? Like I was just at at Truffle Shuffle uh, earlier today. And I was telling everybody I was coming to interview you and – I mean, everybody's very excited Aww, uh, to, to hear from you and Thank hear you. hear your story.
2: You know, I think what's so special about this experience with the high country and being solo is I never went in to break records or win. Um, winning was never, I, I didn't think that was a realistic goal to begin with. So I never set that as the goal. My goal was to really find myself. And I, I think in winning, it's been a really special reflective moment of how it's come full circle for me and going back to even that first like test that my coach Kristen gave me with like mental toughness training, I did a lot off the bike to get to this point. Um, I worked on myself throughout the past, I guess, three years. Um, and when I say off the bike, I, I mean like, um, meditation, podcasts, reading, I really dug deep to kind of peel back some layers of myself and that's what I love about the cycling journey in general is that it has life parallels and I don't think I would do it if it didn't. For me it is the place I go to learn about life and then it it's the reverse like my life helps me with what I learn on the bike. And they're always feeding each other back and forth. Yeah, and I love that about this sport. And I think it's this—it's so unique in that regard. I think it's um, just an incredibly special journey. And when can
0: I probe? Yeah, um, yeah. So for those three years, I mean, what can you say specifically what you were working on? Like- yeah,
2: sure. Um, for me, I struggle with time because I don't—I don't have the luxury of five, six-hour bike rides right now. I run two businesses. I'm a mom. I sometimes have like two hours, maybe three. Some days I don't have any.
0: Real talk. This is what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. This is what yeah. I was talking about earlier. This is some true. days I don't ride. Right. Yeah. And,
2: but I realized it's not just physical fitness that we're confronted with out in the bikepacking, racing scenario, it's, it's mental toughness. Well, that looks like a lot of different things. So to me, I started creating many moments of uncomfortable things where I could challenge myself in a very small context on a daily basis. I used to never be a morning person. like I hated getting up early. And it started there. Um, It started with me waking my ass up really early and doing something that I didn't want to do. It could be core exercise, which I'm not a fan of. It could be um, an interval workout, or it could have been like, I always have um, struggled with, when I go camping, I don't sleep very well because when I'm flat without my lofty pillows, I'm very uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I started laying like on our hardwood floor to meditate, things like that. It was very simple. It was stuff I could knock out in 20 or 30 minutes. It wasn't like these hours and hours on end. It was just things that made me uncomfortable enough to not want to do and then after it's the fact... It's you
0: training your brain, like, yes. who's in control Absolutely. here, you
2: know? like <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah.
0: That's right? it. Right?
2: And lo and behold, I love getting up early now. I don't know. Like, it just... It completely rewired me. And so I I started doing these things. And granted, if you do one of these, like, a week, it's not going to make a difference. I started doing them every day. And I made myself do this just repetitively. And... Over time, these little 15 to 20 minute chunks started adding up into confidence that I could do things that I didn't normally do before. And then I was noticing different patterns were changing and attitudes were changing and beliefs were changing. And it was this difference inside of me. And I was like, wow, if if stuff that I can do off the bike can make me stronger on the bike, then I'm really on to something here because I can manage this
0: Right. And you don't have as much time to do 10-hour days on the bike. Yeah, but you can I don't do... train
2: nearly as much as I did when I was racing professionally, when I had really not a lot of responsibility. Like, that was a really kind of – it was an awesome time in my life, but it was also a very selfish time in my life where it was very much all about me. And I did have five hours a day to train, and I used to hate it. Like, I got to the point where it felt like a job. Right. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could just go ride my bike. I mean, <laughs> you always want what you don't have, right? Yeah. But um, I, I kind of cracked this code of like just many chunks of being uncomfortable. It really helped me grow. I think that over time really helps people grow, and that's something that anybody can do.
0: So let's convert that to your success on the high, high country. Mm-hmm. Like how? Like, can you give some examples of how that off the bike stuff manifested itself mm-hmm. while you're racing?
2: Yeah. Um, one thing that I did really well was. I slept on a gravel road, which is something I never would have been able to do like two years ago. Um, I and I. Mean, it sounds so
0: small, but being able to get good sleep and actually no, rest like, when you're
2: because I'd done this like hardwood floor meditation exercise, just flat on my back with no pad or anything, just like hardwood floor. I laid down on the gravel road. I started breathing, and I fell asleep. Like it was like a trigger for me. And so that's something that um, I, I'd never done before that I noticed a huge difference in is... Um, and um, I'm trying to think of other things like...
0: What about like uh, mind over matter in terms of pain, discomfort? Oh, yeah,
2: totally. Um, so... Because that is,
0: the, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is the thing that I really love about this sport is that it is an equalizer in many ways mm-hmm. between age and gender is, it, like you said, it's very much in your mind. And mm-hmm. so helping people understand that you have a lot more control over this and yeah. and, and not needing to train five hours every single day. Yeah. But if you can master your mind yeah. and overcome some of these challenges, I yeah. think is It'll valuable. it help you in so many areas.
2: Yeah. This is going to sound a little crazy. Oh, good. But I, I've learned to start talking to my body, literally, like out loud.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, the first year we did the high country with about 70 miles to go, my right knee kind of exploded. And I remember telling you, like, Ernie pulled me on a, with a dog leash to the finish line, like he told me for the last yeah. 70 miles. I experienced that same exact knee pain in both knees (laughs) this time, it was just as intense. But the difference is because I had experienced it before, I knew it wasn't, I knew I wasn't doing long-term damage. I knew that this type of pain is something that is gonna happen when you make your body go for 900 miles straight without stopping and you're gonna swell and you're gonna have these incredible discomforts, but that they don't last, They're, they're transitory in that like a week later, I will be totally fine. And so I've gotten into this habit uh, on the bike where I will literally talk to whatever is hurting and I'll be like, okay, knee, I hear you. Yep, I'm pushing you really hard right now, but in a week you're going to be like living large in bed, feet in up, ice. you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, you're going to recover. This is all going to be good. And it's not that it takes it away, but it does take off the edge.
0: Sounds like another meditation. Another, it, it kind another, of is, Another, like, I being in that yeah. moment. And I, I do believe in the power of the mind and, and uh, through meditation. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, uh, I mean, I've worked through, like, knee pain specifically with cycling. Like, I'll try to, like, um, through my mind, like, meditate the pain away. Mm-hmm. You know, I play around with all this stuff. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, our mind is a powerful tool, and if you it don't, really is. you know, ding around in there and you know, see what's going on, yeah. you're never going to find out what what it's capable of.
2: So I know I'm veering outside of the bike world, but Let's do you it. do you know Courtney DeWalt?er She's oh, an yes. ultra runner. I'm
0: a huge okay. uh, Courtney fan. Actually. Have you
2: heard her take on the pain cave scenario?
0: Maybe, but rehash okay. it for.
2: So if you guys don't know who Courtney DeWalter is, she's another just badass female Ex-teacher. who kicks... kicks ass in the ultra endurance running scene um, often beats all the guys like just an incredible runner
0: but what I love about her just to say I mean she was like a a teacher that just liked to run she wears baggy clothes she's so like
2: humble Yeah, Yeah. she's not
0: what you picture as like an ultra athlete. Mm -mm. She doesn't have a coach. She doesn't have a meal training plan. She just is very good at running for whatever reason. (laughs) And Um, tough
2: as nails. Tough
0: as nails. Yeah, I love her. I love her like unassuming humbleness and all that.
2: Yeah, I love following her. Um, She's great. She has this philosophy that she used to be scared of the pain cave, she would say. And she would try and delay getting there for as long as possible. And then she changed her mentality to, I want to get to the pain cave as soon as possible so that I can make it bigger, so that I can make my pain cave even more expansive. And so she has this um, analogy. She calls it chipping away at the pain cave. And like, the sooner you can get there, the more work you can do and the more you can improve yourself. Mm. And I heard her say that once on a podcast, and I was like, that's so much what bikepacking feels like. You know, at some point you're going to be uncomfortable. Your body's going to talk back to you. And um, even if you're on a casual ride, I mean, the saddle could be uncomfortable or your lower back could start hurting yeah. or your neck and shoulders. And like it, the bike has a way of, you know, bringing out body pain. And so it's like if you're equipped to talk to your body and handle this kind of relationship between mind and body, I think it's, it makes for a better experience overall.
0: I think we should also state that sometimes your body like with Ernie
2: just uh, is telling no. you
0: something. <laughs> yeah. it, we I've I've talked about this a lot on the podcast yeah. but it is interesting because we have these conversations with our body and I find I think we we find often that we're asking our body to do things that it's uncomfortable and out of the norm but you know eventually your body will get on the program. It's like no we're doing yeah. this. Okay, we'll get on the program. But sometimes you actually just need to go to the e r <laughs> so <laughs> there's know. a there's a balance, but I mean ultimately, you just got to know your body right yeah. and 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 work through okay, I got another one for you, so you said you your goal for this year's race was to find yourself. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to find yourself, and did you find yourself? Yeah, that's an easy one.
2: I think finding myself, I can only answer that for me. I'm for sure, sure it means a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm very hard on myself. I always have been. I'm just hardwired that way. I've always been a performer. I've always been the kind of like A-type person that wants to achieve my best in everything that I touch. (laughs) And um, that's been good in some ways, but it's also really hurt me in some ways in that I'm not very kind to myself. Like my mental talk has been extremely negative. And that's something Ernie has in partnering in a pairs race has been very good for me in that he will help me replace that negative talk with positive talk. So when I say find myself, I had to figure out how I was going to replace my own negative language by myself. Mm -hmm. For me, it was okay. When I knew I had a plan, but I've done enough of these to know it never goes that way. Right. And stuff happens out there that you just can't predict and you don't know. And, um, some things happened that I didn't plan on happening. And because I had kind of prepped myself that, Hey, this is, this is just about you dealing with those negative voices, dealing with those like trigger points. This is what this is about. When those things started to happen, I was like, okay, this is what I came here for.
0: I'm in the pain Now I
2: get here. Yeah, exactly. I'm in the pain The mental
0: pain cave. This is my
2: chance to chip away and make my comfort zone a little more expansive. Yeah. And, I really did treat myself better. I I had more patience with problems. I was a better problem solver. I I didn't get down on myself when I had to slow down. It's frustrating when you're a racer and stuff happens and it costs you time. Like you always have that clock just running and you're like, ah, I'm wasting time, losing time. But that sense of urgency can also bite you in the butt and really make you 10 times slower if you're not patient. And so um, I felt like in finding myself, that meant having a lot of patience with myself. And um, I, I did that. I actually finished the race without frustration towards me. Oh, wow! So it was incredible. I, and when, it's funny, cause I, when someone asked me, weren't you bored? I was like, no, I actually felt like I was in a flow state for literally like five days and 10 hours. I was so focused. And that's what I really wanted to get out of it.
0: Well, you, yeah, you went in with a goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. It's much different than that. Uh, usually when I ask people, what was your goal? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I mean, maybe it's just to finish. Maybe mm-hmm. it's to win. Maybe it's this. But no one has ever said to find myself. That's never been anybody's goal that they've expressed um, on the podcast. But it's interesting if you approach it in that way. I like it. Yeah. I don't, I mean.
2: Nothing can take that away from you.
0: Yeah. So what is more valuable to you, that experience of finding yourself or being the current FKT holder and the 2021 overall (laughs) winner of the high country race?
2: That was just icing on the cake. Honestly, I didn't even know I was in the lead until about 80 miles to go. Like it didn't affect me because I didn't know.
0: (laughs) 80, 80 miles to the finish, you had no idea? No, I had no idea. So you were just flowing.
2: I was just riding my bike in the I rain. I
0: love that. How great and, is that? And um,
2: I didn't know because it had literally been raining on me for like 12 hours, so I hadn't got my phone out once. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, just, you know, getting through, gritting it out. And um, I stopped at OARC, which is like, oh, such a godsend in yeah. the middle of that rainstorm. And they the were open. The general store, the oldest oh, general store in Arkansas. Everybody is, has to go if you're ever in that area. It is such a gem. Yep. Pancakes. And thanks
0: to uh, Jackalope, there's a bike stand out there that I saw getting utilized yeah. on.
2: Super cool. Yeah, it is a it is a cool place. But I stopped there um, to get warm for a minute and to eat. And um, when I was there, I looked at my phone, and I didn't see Spencer's dot. And so I thought he would finished. And I was like, Oh, man, if he finished already, that means maybe he broke the record. And so I, I didn't know. And about that time, I got a text from Ernie. He's like, Spencer dropped out with 45 miles to go. You're in the lead. And I was like, what? What? You know, like, (laughs) it was just a surprise. And so... um, That's
0: a crazy story too. I'd like to talk to him one day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think he had a gnarly last few hours there. But it was so unexpected at that moment that it almost was surreal. And I just kept on riding in the rain because that was was real. (laughs) 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 It was pretty miserable. I'm not going to lie. I blasted music really loud for, like, the last 40 miles just to, like, <laughs> drown out the sound of my drivetrain. Um, but when I finished, I think, like, one of the best parts was the community that was there at the finish line. There were a lot of people there. And just um, a lot of my girlfriends and women, even women that I'd never met before, were just inspired that a woman had won. Yeah. And there were a lot of women that came out to support. That's wonderful. And um, I got so many messages from from women from everywhere. Just like, this is incredible. Thank you for inspiring me. And that meant so much to me. I wasn't the strongest athlete, I don't think, but just had the staying power to see it through this time. And um, it was really cool to be able to translate that to the women's community and kind of uplift them a little bit. It's a
0: beautiful story. And I think it's worth... Pointing out to people listening that it didn't happen overnight, you know, like you no. have been working on this yeah. for a long time, you know, yeah. and that's what you get when you work on something for a long time, yeah. you know. So what's
2: next? Next, we learn to go suffer in the cold snow with uh, oh, the fat pursuit. yes.
0: <laughs> I'm terrified oh, of being that
2: cold. <laughs> we I have
0: no desire to do that. We
2: have so much None. care. It's so much gear to buy between now and then. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like We got the list, the equipment list. Of, yeah, you got to have the big puffy oh, everything. We don't and use that stuff in Arkansas. No, we don't know. But that. Ernie and I have been talking. We're both going. And uh, we've been talking, avoiding, I should say. We've been avoiding this race for three years now because sure. we're terrified of being that cold.
0: I interviewed Rebecca Rush and she swore she would never do I it. I have you know? said similar things. Uh, but yeah. since then, she's, she's, she's been She's clearly
2: back. mastered it. Yeah. 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 So
0: it's all levels, right? It's yeah. like, okay, we've done that. Like, what what else is out there? Yeah. You inspire me. Y'all both do. I appreciate not just like your story. Um, I'm so stoked that you won, like you winning for me. I don't know. I was, it's, it's awesome. Thanks. It's, it's wonderful. I but, it. I love the fact that y'all are like this family unit that makes it work. If you're not a family, like if you don't have like kids and, and all those extra responsibilities, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Right. And yeah. like you said, it, you wouldn't be who you are without it, but um, it does make it more challenging. I think
2: mm-hmm. word.
0: All right. Time to go back home to Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, feel, I
2: don't feel like I'm not. Not from that in. Yes, you're allowed to talk now. <laughs> You've been such a good boy. You too, Ethan. Good job. you like? No, we're not going to stay in Tulsa. We're going home. You like it here? Oh, yeah, for sure. So make sure. You might have to turn it sideways. Yeah, but I would think... Well, maybe both. Do you want yeah. Squeeze
4: your fingers, bro.
0: Are they twins? They are. So not identical.
2: Yeah, they're fraternal.
0: Fraternal.
2: Fraternal.
0: Is it FR or FA?
2: Fra, yeah, it's F R A. You're froze. Did you get a few? <laughs> Let me, were your fingers in front of he's the like, camera? Get, get like one more, cause your fingers like, are like in front of the camera.
0: He's like smile.
2: <laughs> thank you, buddy.
0: Make sure it's thank good you so before you just thank him.
2: Yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. Auto time. So uh, Scotty, I need yeah. one more thing from oh, you. You yeah. have to say something like, "I'm Scotty Lechuga. I kicked the Arkansas high country in the teeth. Now go ride your damn bike or something like that. You just have to end it with, now go ride your damn bike. Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm Scotty Lechuga. I rode my bike for a thousand miles. Now it's time to go ride your damn bike. Damn. She got it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all. Yeah, that was so fun. Um,
0: all right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And thanks again to Scotty for making the trip all the way to Tulsa to come and chat with me for a little bit. As you heard, she also drug along her husband, Ernie, and her two boys. They were sitting in the room the whole time and... Okay, so I was about to talk about how Scotty's kids came and listened to our podcast, and they were complete angels, didn't make a noise, and Ernie did a good job too. And so now Sloan is coming into my office, and she's going to be quiet while I wrap up the outro to this episode, right? Ooh, she didn't even answer. She just nodded. She is on point today. It was really great to catch up with both Scotty and Ernie. They're both people that I look up to. Always enjoy catching up with them. FYI, I was right. Pat myself on the back. Give me a cookie. It was episode 36 when I originally interviewed both of them. And that episode can be found in the show notes if you want to check that one out as well. And like I said, I highly recommend it. You got to hear a little bit from Ernie, but trust me. You want to listen to the full episode to get the full Ernie effect. Oh, and also, we did go to that big playground that she mentioned at the beginning of the episode called the gathering place it's in downtown tulsa right on the river banks of the arkansas river and it is absolutely incredible whenever i saw it online i assumed it would be like 25 bucks a person to go you know check it out or whatever and it's totally free I don't know. You just kind of have to see it. But if you're ever in Tulsa and you have kids, even if you don't have kids, I was up on that thing. We were ziplining. We were climbing through castles, going down slides, having a great time. But yeah, we did have a lot of fun on that jungle gym, didn't we, Sloan? Do you want to say what your favorite part of the jungle gym was?
1: The zipline.
0: Anyway, we did have a uh, a great time there in Tulsa. Again, it was awesome to go and see all the folks in Stillwater. Congratulations to Claire for putting on, and then another amazing truffle shuffle. All right, folks. Well, that is it for today's episode. I've got packing to do because I just got back from Stillwater and Tulsa, and now it's time to unpack and repack because I'm going bike packing this weekend. Hooray! And the weather is looking absolutely fantastic. I can't wait looking forward to it so i'm gonna get off of here get this uploaded for you fine folks so i can go ride my damn bike
1: it was the middle of the night you grabbed your knife and you held it tight the sounds of beasts kept you awake the sounds they made kept you afraid in the morning you packed your bike memories forgotten from the previous night you rode faster than ever before was it your imagination or merely folklore fear turned into strength as you push further every pedal stroke stronger and firmer your bike feels weightless your legs aren't tired you think to yourself just a few more miles Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death.